we thank you this morning for the time that we can come together and look to you. We ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would draw us close. Reveal to us today your truth and help us to become more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Before we look to uh, God's Word this morning, we want to invite uh, Jeff and Nicole and Justin Barnett up and uh, to say goodbye to them. Unfortunately, it's a bittersweet time. Uh, they are flying out this Saturday, February 5th, to Entebbe, Uganda, to serve the Lord with Samaritan's Purse. I'll give you that. And uh, so this is Jeff and Nicole and Justin. You're not allowed to cry more than I am, okay? <laughs> uh, Jeff, do you want to tell us quickly what you're going to do with Samaritan's Purse? Yeah, so I'm a pilot, um, and almost exactly 20 years ago, we went out with Samaritan's Purse, interestingly enough, <laughs> um, to East Africa. We lived in Kenya at that time, and we're flying uh, with them. And they do a lot of work in South Sudan, uh, which is you're curious as the world's newest nation, um, but at that time was um, not a nation yet. But anyway, um, we're kind of going back to do the same thing. We've come full, full circle. Um, we've been in East Africa before. Uh, six years ago, we came back, and uh, the they have a lot of, you can look up Samaritan's Purse if you want and find out all the different things they do, but um, they do a lot of work in South Sudan with just humanitarian and rebuilding churches, literacy, uh, water, I can't, medical, um, there's a lot of medical work they do. Um, and we just support that work with the airplanes because there's places in Sudan where for months at a time, the only way in and out is an airplane because of the rains. Um, so anyway, that's... And you're a and pilot. I, I, yeah, I, I think I said that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I'll be flying the airplanes, so um, that's essentially what we're doing. So. Great. Well, let me, uh, I'm going to step over here because this thing's bothering me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but we wanted to uh, thank you and bless you and pray for you before you go. And then if you have any uh, words at the end, feel free to, to jump in there. Um, but we, 
we thank you for participating in our church family. You know, we ask uh, two things of newcomers, and that is to attach through community and through service to the Lord um, as followers of Jesus. And you guys have done that. You know, six years ago, you jumped right in, and we are thankful for that. You've been active members of the Berean Adult Fellowship of that community. You have been involved in men's and women's Bible studies, and, and uh, not just for learning God's Word and applying it, but also for uh, developing uh, relationships that you can grow together in Christ. Um, and you've been very intentional in your friendships in terms of relational uh, discipleship, and uh, we are thankful. You take your walk with Jesus uh, seriously, and, and we know that... Um, uh, When you come back to visit, uh, we will say you've been with Jesus. And uh, we will pray for you to find a church family to be able to do the same thing. You've served here in, in just myriad ways, uh, especially faithfully with our Awana program. And we're thankful for that, uh, helping our uh, children learn to treasure God's word in their hearts. And uh, you know from a personal experience that that will pay dividends throughout their lives and for all eternity. And we're very thankful uh, for that as well. Um, and so we look forward to what God is going to do as he continues to shape you and as he uses you. Justin, uh, you have the makings of a leader. And I am, uh, <laughs> I am, I admire the way that you have embraced this uh, big adventure. And, and you're good adventure, at adventures. I've seen your swords and your shields, or at least some of the supply. And, um, and I'm glad that you're taking it on that way. You're older than, when, than what your siblings were when they went to Africa uh, for the first time. And I think your impact will be immediate, more uh, bigger than theirs was. I, I look forward to hearing about the friendships that you make with your friends at school and in the area. And uh, I know that God is going to use this in a mighty way to shape you and make you into his man to be an impact for years to come in his kingdom. And it's just going to be exciting to watch it unfold. You guys are uniquely designed for this. You know, some of us have traveled to other countries and some of us, some of the people here have even been to Uganda. But uh, you guys have lived there in Africa and you know the sights and sounds and smells. And Jeff, your family goes back your, your fourth generation uh, serving the Lord in Africa. And that is just powerful. What a great legacy. And uh, we are thankful for the way that you have taken this sober approach to where God wanted you over the last couple of years. It's been kind of strange the way, especially this last year of uh, all the changes. But we admire your prayer, prayerfulness about it. We don't feel like you've ever rushed ahead of God. And we thank you for inviting us into the process. So, you know what I'm I just want to say thanks to the church. I mean, you know, it uh, keeps coming to my mind that saying that you don't know what you have until you lose it. And, uh, <laughs> and we're not losing it, but, um, you know, it's hard. Uh, and it's exciting to see a lot of new faces in the last year at this church. Um, and it seems like it's a Everybody from 
young, young to old, and so that's exciting too. And uh, I just want to say to you all that you've found a good place. Um, you have amazing pastors and an amazing fellowship and body here. So if you need anything, there's a lot of, just look around. <laughs> there's people that are going to stand by you and help you through it. Um, so thank you for standing with us for these past six years for um, helping my two older kids. We have two, or 23 and 21 now, and both married, um, but they started out here in the youth group and jumped right in, and um, it was a good place for them to transition back to the States and into adulthood. And so thank you for that, and thank you for supporting us and encouraging us. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll be back for a visit, so. <laughs> good, we like to hear that. And we know where your stuff is stored, so we can, <laughs> we, we can hunt you down. Um, yeah, and I want to thank uh, church family as well, for especially these last few months, helping uh, Jeff and Nicole pray through these processes, helping them pack, make decisions about what to do and what not to do, uh, helping them move, uh, preparing meals for them, giving uh, Justin lots of extra opportunities to be with his friends. Uh, you guys have been amazing, and I really appreciate your selfless service and your sacrifice uh, that way. So we want to pray for you. I'm, I'm going to pray over you. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys just to pray uh, with us where you are. And um, let's pray for their transition. Again, they leave uh, Saturday. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. And we thank you for letting us see your plan in action uh, as you have moved in the lives of Jeff and Nicole and Justin and certainly Joshua and Lisa and, and uh, Emily and Jesse, and we thank you for all that you have orchestrated, uh, especially this last uh, 24 months. What a, what a whirlwind. Um, thank you for your faithfulness in answering prayer. Thank you for your faithfulness in allowing uh, Jeff and Nicole to get to this point of being ready to uh, leave. And I thank you so much for a church family through which you have expressed your love and you have made yourself very tangible. Uh, through the hands and feet of uh, our church family. And we are thankful for that. We're thankful for the privilege of being used by you. And we ask that as they go, that you would allow all the logistics uh, to go smoothly uh, this weekend. Pray that all the luggage would arrive uh, carefully and safely and get through duty. And pray that uh, you would allow Jeff and Nicole and Justin to handle the flights well. Pray that you would protect their health. And we ask for the uh, initial few days there as they get oriented and as they get over jet lag that you would protect them and help them in their decision making as they look at the most important things to do and prioritize. Pray for their relationships that they'll be building uh, with the program manager and with the others that serve Samaritan's Purse there. We ask that you would give them a church family in which they can share their hearts and their lives as they have here. And we ask that you would continue to make yourself real to them, that they can see tangible evidence of becoming more like you uh, each year. We pray for the ministry uh, to go well and that that would bear fruit that is eternal, that through all the practical uh, supplies of medical and food and literacy and, and uh, flying people around, that lives would be touched and hearts would be changed, that your gospel would go out and that people would come to know Christ because of the work of this family. 
Thank you for the privilege of partnering with them in prayer. And so we entrust them to you in Christ's name. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks, man. <laughs> Can you give that to Perry? Thanks. If you were leaving for Uganda today, what kind of encouragement would you need? What kind of fears would you have? And how much more would you find yourself depending upon Jesus Christ as you went into this? I think that those questions are going to be answered as we... Um, Look at Haggai. I'm sorry, I forgot to dismiss Sunshine Kids Club. <laughs> Little distracted. So, kindergarten through fifth grade, if you would like to head to uh, your worship hour uh, out this door, and if you're a guest with us, feel free to walk your children over and, and get to know the staff. Give them a moment to get out. Okay, we live in a world where everyone needs encouragement, whether you're going to Uganda or not. I do think the book of Haggai, as we look at it today, will answer some of those questions. Um, but life is tough in a, a normal year, in a normal life situation, and the circumstances that we face. And as we look to the Lord and, and seek to do His will that He has called us to do and, and watch Him work in us and through us. And then life can be uh, even more frustrating as he does work through us and as we do ministry, but we don't get to see the fruits of that ministry. Quite often we plant seeds, we share the gospel, we bring God's word to bear on others' lives, and, um, and then we never get to see the, the fruit. We never get to draw harvest. You know, we plant, we water. God brings the growth no matter what. Uh, but sometimes it's a little discouraging that uh, as we minister to people, we don't get to see that because the fruit comes out years later. It's kind of like parenting uh, in, in that way. Um, and so that can be discouraging. And I think that is one of the things that was going on in Jerusalem when the Lord had Haggai come speak as a prophet to his people that they were discouraged that they're building this temple. It's going to take a few years to build it. Actually, this one only took four years. Uh, but he's talking about glory in the latter days than right now. And even what they have right now is just really kind of bleak. It's, it's kind of paltry. It's not much to look at. And Jerusalem is beat up. And so uh, they are discouraged. But we want to look at... Uh, 
uh, Haggai uh, final message today, chapter uh, 2, verses 20 to 23. It's his fourth message out of four. It actually takes place on December 18th, 520 B.C., the same day that his third message took that we looked at uh, last week. There's a slight difference this time. We've called our sermon series Course Correction, and the idea is that uh, Haggai has been sent of God to help awaken the hearts of his people and to awaken them from their misplaced priorities to doing what God wants, to awaken them from disobedience to obedience, to encourage them and to remind them that God is with them in this project. It is his plan to rebuild the temple. It is his plan for them to be obedient. And he is going to give them the strength to do that. And he commands them to work. Get this rebuilt. Do it. And they are discouraged in the midst of it. And so we've looked at our own lives through those same things, disengaged hearts and misplaced priorities, and, and asked through this series, do we need a course correction? Do you need a course correction at all in any of these areas? How is the spirit moving in your life? And I think the most important thing we'll see here is that uh, the Lord is going to do things in Haggai in these four verses as, as he uh, stretches our thinking, and he reveals his power and his prophecies, but more than anything else, he's going to draw us to himself. That's the whole key behind all of this. Uh, but we'll look at some of the details as we get into it. And, and uh, I invite you to ask the Lord to be your encouragement today, wherever you're at. If you need it in your life, your life situation, if you need it in your ministry situation, if you need it in your following, whatever you need today, just ask the Lord to be your encouragement and let the Spirit speak to you as we look at Haggai chapter 3. We're going to find his encouragement here through his presence, through his power, and through his promises in Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 to 23. The first thing we look at in, in verse 20 in the first part of 21 is that encouragement comes in the form of God's presence. Encouragement comes in the form of God's presence. God delights in encouraging his people. Now, that may seem odd, especially when you're just beat up and you're frazzled and, and things are just dried up around you and, and things are hectic and frantic. But God delights in encouraging his people. In fact, we saw in chapter 2 that God delights his faithful people, like Zerubbabel and, and Joshua, but he also de delights in encouraging his unfaithful people. He, he's the one that came to them and said, and instead of shaming them and condemning them, said, hey... You guys can do this, and I'm going to be there to work with you. Now, they paid the price uh, of uh, poor crops and poor economy and things like that for their disobedience, according to the Mosaic Covenant. But God went out of his way to encourage the faithful and the unfaithful. Today, we're going to look at him encouraging the faithful, because this message is geared and directed just to Zerubbabel. So we get to look in on this conversation that God has with Zerubbabel uh, through Haggai. And actually, it's not a conversation. It's kind of like a sermon, just a monologue. But Zerubbabel is faithful, 
and he is discouraged. And I wonder if, aside from all else that's going on around him, if he's even more discouraged because he has been faithful. Have you ever been there? You're thinking, you know, Lord, what, what more could I do? <laughs> I'm walking with you. I love you. I'm trying to serve you. I'm doing hard things. And, and yet, uh, I'm kind of discouraged. Well, that's where Zerubbabel is at now. He's faithful and he's discouraged. And then there's nothing like the added discouragement of the loneliness that comes with being a leader. That's what Zerubbabel is. He's called the governor of Israel. And you know this, whether you lead a team at work or a group of rugrats at home or an organization or an athletic team, you know the loneliness that comes with leadership. That's just part of the, the thing. You've got to make your own decisions. You've got to be the one encouraging everyone else. And you're glad to freely hand out encouragement, but it's not always reciprocated. And so that's where Zerubbabel is at. He's in this leadership position given to him by God and acknowledged by Cyrus to bring back these 50,000 remnant, these 50,000 Israelites to come back and rebuild the temple and rebuild Jerusalem. Well, Zerubbabel finds himself in a discouraging situation. He is a grandson of Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was the last king before Babylon. He was a sinful man. And, and so uh, he was sent with the Israelites to Babylon. God had prophesied, here's where it's coming. If you guys, and you've been doing this for centuries, if you guys don't obey, if you guys don't fear me, if you guys don't follow me. And Zerubbabel is there. He's taken, so Joachim is left in Babylon, Zerubbabel is now brought back the 50,000. And they are still under Persian rule. They're surrounded by hostile nations. So they're trying to resettle, right? They're trying to rebuild the temple, which is in disarray from when the Babylonians 70 years before had destroyed it. They are trying to look at the walls of the city for protection. They're trying to get their economy going by growing some crops. And they've struggled there because of their disobedience. All of this is going on. And somehow, Zerubbabel is supposed to govern in the midst of this. And this is what Haggai says in verse 20 and early 21. He says, Then the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. All the other messages to the people, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant. But this one's directed to Zerubbabel, and I take that as a real form of encouragement. In the midst of this bleak situation, all the discouragement of being a leader, all the discouragement of the situation, the condition of Israel, that God speaks directly to Zerubbabel. It's like this parting shot here in these last four verses that we have. And so he addresses Zerubbabel. And God always encourages us by speaking to our fears. That's what he's done. He doesn't leave Zerubbabel alone. He understands what he's going through. And that's why even back in chapter 2, three times he had said, take courage, be strong. He'd given the promise, I am with you. And that speaks not only to the authority of Christ, but also to his power. 
so that when he is present with Zerubbabel and he is present with us as followers of Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he's not just a shadow following us around and he's not just some policeman or judge waiting for us to screw up. No, he is empowering us. He is living within us to give us strength to follow him. And he is at work changing our desires and our will. Jesus takes delight in relieving his people of discouragement and anxiety. Discouragement begins to dissipate when we look to him and we recognize his presence in our lives. And that's why I think Haggai addresses Zerubbabel directly. And I think that's why God had him do it. I want us to look at a familiar verse that is a great one to memorize if you haven't already. And, and pray through daily as we think about God's presence in our lives, the very presence of Jesus Christ. This is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an incredible prayer for people who are experiencing stress and anxiety, for people who are discouraged. And so this, word, this passage wasn't available to Zerubbabel in uh, the 6th century B.C., but it's available to us, and it has some great truth. It gives us some great words to follow. Let your request be known with gratitude for what God is going to do. But look at the promise that this peace of God that cannot be explained, this peace of God which we could never expect on our own will invade our lives. And that is the power of the presence of Jesus Christ. When you experience the power of the presence of Christ, you understand his peace and you experience that. We're told that he guards our hearts and our minds, that he guards our thoughts and our emotions. It is the power of his presence that gives us peace. It is the power of his presence that lifts us out of discouragement. Not just so that we can have a happy and comfortable life, but so that we can continue to focus on what he has called us to do, on the mission that he has called us to do, to make disciples. Encouragement comes in the form of God's presence. Jesus offers himself to the person who is fearful and discouraged. He addressed Zerubbabel's fears. He addresses ours. We also get to see that encouragement comes in the form of his power. Next in verses 21 and 22. Encouragement comes in the form of God's power. When we are discouraged, we are tempted to think many wrong things about ourselves, about our situation, about our God. Satan would have us believe all kinds of lies. That God is not present, that God does not care about us, and that God is not strong enough to do anything about it if he did care. The prevalent lies since the beginning of time. And, and so Haggai addresses that with God's power. The Israelites were wondering if they could overcome their enemies, if they could ever rebuild. Sometimes you don't even have the ability to, to get going, 
to get started when you're that discouraged. They had forgotten about the power of God and his willingness to be with them through this. He is the God who had delivered them from the Egyptians and brought them through the Red Sea. He held the walls of the water up so that they could escape. He is the God who took them through the wilderness and brought them to the promised land. And he is the God who cleared out the promised land so that they could live there. He is the God who took down the Midianites with only 300 members of Gideon's army to show his power and his strength. He is the God that has been with them through all these centuries, and they have forgotten about his power. This is our mighty, powerful God. Haggai often uses the title here, Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. His power and his strength and his might is invincible. It's Jeremiah who said, Ah, Lord God, you have created all things through your outstretched arm. He talks about the power of God to do whatever he wishes to do. And because of his sovereignty, he does it not only freely and powerfully, but lovingly as he looks for our best. This is our Lord of hosts, our powerful God. And in these next two verses, we get a reminder that God has a plan and is powerful enough to carry out his plan. This is what the third message begins with in verse 21, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Are you concerned about the enemy nations? Haggai lets them know that God is going to shake them. There's going to be divine judgment. That's his term for the divine judgment that will come. And every time that has been talked about, there's some kind of major earthquake, some kind of presence of God, like at Mount Sinai. As before divine judgment is view, and God is going to intervene on behalf of his people to carry out his plan and defeat the nations. It's looking to a future time, but they can trust him. He says this in verse 22, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. The Lord has a plan to overcome the Gentile nations, to overcome those who are hostile toward Israel. The first half of this verse reminds us of Daniel chapter 2, doesn't it? Uh, where Nebuchadnezzar has the dream of the image, and the head is Babylon, and the chest is Medo-Persia. And then you have Greece, and then Rome, and you have these world powers that will rise up and conquer the one ahead, but then be destroyed by God himself or destroyed by the next nation. The final kingdom there, the stone, is the kingdom of Christ, which we take to be the millennial kingdom that Christ will set up eternally. And it will not be the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, but his kingdom eternally. And it cannot be destroyed. That's what the first part of this verse reminds us of. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power. The second half or the last part of the verse reminds us of the battle of Armageddon. Nation will turn on nation and then Christ will return and he will defeat all the armies in the 
plains of Megiddo. He will destroy all those who are against him and establish his kingdom. And in these previous two verses, we are reminded that God has a plan. And that's all he's doing here for the Israelites who have returned from Babylon. They got a little bit more than Habakkuk did. You know, remember what he told Habakkuk? He said, uh, behold, I am doing a thing. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. Here he tells them what he's going to do. He doesn't tell them when that's going to happen, but he gives hope. And that begins to destroy discouragement. Nothing can prevent his work and his plan. And it will come to be. His kingdom will take place. And we can take comfort in the fact that God has a plan. We can take comfort in our lives. Because regardless of our life situation, we know that he is conforming us to the image of Christ. We can always look to him and follow him regardless of how debilitating the circumstances are. And know that he is shaping us in the image of Jesus Christ. That is one of the things that he promises that he is doing and transforming us. And he has the power to do that. And most of us can look back and say, yeah, uh, the Lord has changed my attitude about certain things. He's changed some of my habits. He's given me the ability to be gracious and kind and loving. Whereas before I was hot-headed and angry. All of us can look at something and say, yeah, God has done that by his power. That's highly encouraging to those of us that are discouraged. Those of us who forget about the power of God, we can be comforted that he will also bring everything to a final conclusion in Christ Jesus. And that's why we're happy that we're attached to Christ. We're tempted to be discouraged about this world and our situation. We need to remember the power and the plan of God. God is acting out of his grace to accomplish his plan for us and for the nations. And I think it's healthy for us, again, to remember the words of the Apostle Paul. They're actually the words of Christ that Paul recorded for us. In 2 Corinthians 12, as we think about our lives and experiencing the power of God, 2 Corinthians 12, Paul said this about Jesus. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul's reply to that is, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Those are powerful words. Those are true words that are living and dynamic, those are words that need to become part of us as we trust Christ. He, he says, my grace is sufficient. That means it's going to fill every nook and cranny. And you can't say, but I have this going on. Other people don't. Or I have this going on. And Jesus doesn't know how to handle that. It's sufficient for everything. It could be spiritual needs, physical needs, mental needs, emotional needs. My grace is sufficient. For God's power is perfected in our weakness. And so it takes a certain humility, right? For us to admit our need and to draw on the power of Jesus Christ. To seek his grace in the midst of our situation. To be sustained by him. That's one of the prayers we want to pray 
on a daily basis. God always moves toward our good and his glory. His grace expands to meet our every unique need. And our hope is not only in his loving plan, but in his power to accomplish that plan, accomplish what he sets out to do. So be encouraged by his power and know that his power is found in his grace to accomplish his will in his way and in his timing. But if we're going to set our hearts on his plan, being human, we'd like to know something about his plans. And Haggai brings that up in verse 23 at the end here. And what he lets us know is that God will prevail. God will prevail. He will be present. His power will work. And this is one of the prophecies that reveal us of God. Verse 23, encouragement comes in the form of God's promises. We can take encouragement in his presence and in his power as he's at work in our lives and in his promises. God gives us a further peek at the future as he winds up this prophecy through Haggai. The Lord is giving us his word that these things will take place. When God's promises play out on a daily basis, we experience the faithfulness of God. And this gives us confidence about his prophecies for the future as well. There are essentially three things going on in verse 23. The first one is the Lord speaks of a prophecy that will take, be a future judgment. He starts off by saying, on that day. So this is not a present thing that will take place in Zerubbabel's day. Second thing we see is that it's a messianic prophecy. He's going to refer to Zerubbabel, and the, the only way we can understand that is as a type of Christ. But he's going to use words that signal to us that this is referring to the Messiah. He chooses him, I will take you. He says, I will make you a signet ring, I have chosen you. And he calls him my servant, a messianic title that is used throughout Isaiah in the servant songs to speak specifically about the Messiah. Jesus Christ. The third thing we see is that the Lord chose Zerubbabel as the channel of the Davidic line in which the Messiah would be born. David was promised that his line would carry on eternally, that there would always be someone on his throne. And so Zerubbabel is a, a, a representative or a type of Messiah. Let's look at the verse. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord. And I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This verse reveals God's work in prophecy. And prophecies typically have multiple fulfillments. They often point to the present day, like in Zerubbabel's day, and in the future, primarily. And so the Lord is saying to Zerubbabel, I will take you, I have chosen you, I will make you a signet ring. And these phrases encourage Zerubbabel, in terms of his significance and his value to the Lord, that alone is the grace of God. God is going to protect him. God is going to restore him to the line of David. And Messiah will one day come from his lineage. That's pretty exciting. He also informs him that the nations that are hostile to Israel will be defeated. And so all the angst that you feel about all of those around you as you try to resettle and establish your nation, they will one day be defeated by Messiah. Zerubbabel was chosen 
by God, the Messiah would come through him. He would be like a signet ring. Now, a signet ring was the king's ring. It was owned by him. It was to show ownership of whatever it was used on, to show his authority. It was very important. It could not be lost. And so sometimes they would wear the ring on their fingers. Sometimes they would put on a chain around their necks to protect it. The signet ring is very important. And so when he says signet ring, that elevates Zerubbabel's emotional status right there. But what he's telling Zerubbabel is, I'm going to protect you until your work is complete. I will give you my authority as governor of Jerusalem, and I have restored your name by my grace to be in the line of David. That is the fulfillment that takes place in Zerubbabel's day. God's grace is evident in that. And it's evident anytime he chooses us to join him in his work. In this case, we see God's grace in Zerubbabel's line. I had mentioned his great or his grandfather Jehoiakim previously, who had been the last king in Israel before the Babylonian captivity. Well, Jeremiah had prophesied that God had said to Jehoiakim, if you were my signet ring, I would take you off of my finger and dispose of you. He had removed him from the line of David. And so this was the legacy that Zerubbabel had from his grandfather. God deported his grandfather to Babylon and said, none of your descendants will be in the line of David. But God in his grace restores Zerubbabel. He says, I'm going to make you a signet ring. And this is the grace of God at work because of Zerubbabel's faithfulness and God's choosing. The curse on his family has been lifted and the signet ring is back on God's finger. God also calls Zerubbabel my servant, a messianic title. And so he is showing him the importance of his role and that he is essentially playing a type of Jesus. He's linking one part of redemptive history here with another part of redemptive history in the future. Zerubbabel was a leader of God's people out of captivity into the freedom of Jerusalem and put on mission. He is a type of Christ who would come and die for the sins of his people be buried and rise again and offer salvation, forgiveness of sins and the free gift of eternal life to all who would believe in him. And in essence would lead his people out of slavery to sin into freedom in Christ and then put us on mission as well. So in that small way, Zerubbabel plays a type of Christ. He is a foreshadowing of what is to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Using the title, my servant, which is used, as I said, throughout Isaiah, especially, is one of the most glaring titles of Christ, of the Messiah, that we see in the Old Testament. Jesus is going to come. He's going to defeat all the nations of the world and set up his kingdom, and his glory will be known throughout the heavens and earth. The application broadens to us at this point. Everyone who has placed their faith in Christ, as I said, has been set free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin in Christ Jesus. We're to follow him. We're to walk with him. As he works in us and through us, we become more like him. And he puts us on mission to make disciples. 
to build his kingdom, to serve his church. That's our calling. We are not messianic figures, but we are chosen by God. We're adopted into his family, and that is highly encouraging for us. And so we live on his promises as well. We look forward to that day when Christ returns and everything culminates in him. And there is a new heavens and a new earth. But even today, we live in the promises of Christ with great hope that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. That is invaluable for discouraged people. We live with hope that he will continue the good work that he has begun in us. We believe that he will continue to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. These are powerful promises, and, and they are so well known. Sometimes we just dismiss them, and, and more often we just ignore them. We don't pull them up in times of discouragement because we're so focused on our situation. But we've got to take the, the promises of God seriously because he's drawing us into himself to be reminded of who he is and his character and his great love for us and his power and his ability to continue to work in us regardless of what's going on. And to be reminded that we are not alone in whatever we're going through, that Christ is with us. Paul gives us a great passage at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 to remind us of serving Christ as the Israelites needed to be reminded and encouraged to stay on mission. He says this in verse 15, verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Knowing that as you and I serve Jesus Christ, as you and I follow Jesus Christ, as you and I lean into Jesus Christ, nothing is in vain. In fact, all of it not only is changing our lives, giving us greater confidence and strength and courage in this world, but it is also impacting the world around us and rippling out like ripples in the water when you drop a stone in to those around us in our sphere of influence and in our community and in our states and in our nation. This is what God is calling us to do. And so he gives us these constant encouragements. Be immovable. Keep abounding in the work of the Lord. And know this, it's not. It's not in vain. You and I may never get to see this week or this year or in five years, what takes place as we serve the Lord. But God will. And he will reward you. And the people whose lives you touched, you may never get to hear that until heaven. It's going to be a very exciting time to catch up on what God has done through you in the lives of others. But their lives are going to be marked just like you can look back and say, so-and-so had an incredible impact in my life. We can look forward to encouragement of God through his promises. As we close out the little book, I do think it's important that the, the last words are Lord of hosts. The, the title that he gave to God throughout scripture, throughout here. Uh, the Lord of heaven's armies, that he is powerful and strong. He is the sovereign God. He can bring about all that he promised through Haggai. 
So the temple will be rebuilt and it will be filled with the glory of God. The, the final son of David will rule the earth in peace and righteousness in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are to be faithful in continuing to serve God as his people to the task which he has given us to make his name known, to love others, to serve others, to make disciples, to get the gospel out there, to share with people, to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Those are the facts of the book of Haggai, and they're important facts because they remind us of what God wants in our lives. But the underlying message, as we've seen in these four verses today, is that we are being drawn to God. That we are being reminded that he is present and that he is powerful enough to do the work he wants to do in and through us. We just need to submit with great humility and that we can live on his promises. That's very powerful. And that's very encouraging when we think about life in this world and serving Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do love us. Thank you that you're present with us and that you have said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You offer your power and your authority in our lives. We thank you for your power, that your grace is sufficient, that your power is made known in our lives when we admit our weakness and, and lean on you and depend upon you to see us through. We thank you for your promises that give us hope to depend upon you and to know that one day there will be a day of restoration, a day of glorification, a day of wholeness, a day of shalom. And we look forward to that day. And in the midst of it, we ask for grace to receive your encouragement and to move forward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Take these hands and lift them up For I have not the strength to praise you near
take my time here on this earth and let it glorify all that you are worth for I am nothing I am nothing without you take my time earth and let it glorify all that you are worth for I am nothing I am nothing without you
time has come Still my soul will sing your praise with us today. Have a great week.